church. Uh, we're so grateful that you're carving out time uh, to gather with us uh, around God's word. So I wanna invite you to come with me to Romans chapter 11. Uh, we've been moving through the book of Romans as a church and uh, I'm really loving uh, just some of the feedback we're hearing from you and I'm really loving what this uh, sermon series is doing in my life. And so my prayer is that what's happening in me is also happening in you where the Lord is reminding me just of not just some basics and not just of some like fundamental truths, but that God's also speaking even a new word in the midst of this, of the importance and the centrality of, of who Christ is in all that we do. And so I want to come to Romans chapter 11, uh, meet me at verse 25, and let's read um, the Bible together. It says, lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards for election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. And for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too now have been disobedient in order that by mercy, by the mercy shown to you, that they may also receive mercy. For God has co-signed all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, church, let's bow our heads and our hearts for prayer. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. God, there's moments where your scripture comforts us, it strengthens us, it challenges us. God, there's moments where your word perplexes us. And God, I just pray that we would settle in, that your spirit, Lord, would, would kind of brush over our minds and over our hearts. God, that we would find rest in you. And Lord, as we come to the scriptures, Lord, would you meet us here in this place now so that we might never be the same again. We long to meet with you, God, deep unto deep. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And we ask all of these things. Amen and amen. So this section of, of scripture, Paul writing uh, to this church in Rome, we know that the church is compiled of, of different backgrounds, Jews, Gentiles, and Paul has really a singular theme throughout this text that I want to make sure that we don't miss it. He uses metaphors to capture it. Um, he restates it in different places. But this idea of unity, this idea of the family of God not shrinking but enlarging, that now the family is not just the people of God, the ancestors of Abraham, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. It's not just them any longer at the table. But now the Gentiles have been brought in as well, that Jesus has fulfilled the promise of God all the way back 
in the Old Testament that was made that this would be, that he would be the God of the nations, that he would be a God that brings those from distant places uh, to a, a place where they would find nearness in God. And now we see in this text here where, where Paul begins to kind of unfold this even stronger. Chapters 9 through 11, there, there's sort of a uh, kind of a restating and a repeating some of these themes. And what Paul's wanting us to feel is to get a sense of, of what this message is deep uh, in our hearts. And, and so follow along with me. In chapter 9, Paul says that God's word has not failed. Well, well now in chapter 11, he says that God has not rejected his people. I want you to hear the reminders that Paul is sort of getting into this church community. He says in judgment that, that God's judgment came upon Israel. They were reduced to a remnant. In chapter 11, he says that thankfully God has preserved a remnant, that even in the midst of this, that God has preserved a remnant. He says in chapter 9 that salvation is not by works, but it is a work of grace. In chapter 11, he says that the remnant is chosen by grace. Chapter 9, it says that Israel stumbled. And then in chapter 11, we're reminded that that stumble, that Israel stumble, was not beyond recovery. I want to stop here just for a moment and I want to encourage somebody because maybe you are in a season of stumbling. Maybe you're in a season where you don't feel like you're getting your footing. You don't feel like you're getting much traction or you feel like you're taking a couple of steps forward and then you're tripping on your own feet and you can't seem to get some momentum. I'm not just talking about your life. I'm actually talking about your spiritual journey. You feel like you're making decisions. You're in church. You're on church at home and you're dialed in and you feel great. And then as the week begins to start or the heaviness sets in maybe by Wednesday or you have a difficult situation you're facing on Thursday, you find yourself stumbling and falling in your progress. I want you to hear the word of the Lord to you today. I want you to hear this directly from scripture. Yes, you might stumble, but your stumble is not beyond recovery. If you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you win. I wanna remind you that the stumble that you might experience here does not and will not be fatal if you will continue to dust yourself off and get up. Why? Because the mercy of God and the grace of God meets you in the moment of your insecurity, in the moment of your stumbling, God can make you strong. He can fortify you. I love that reminder in verse 11. Yes, the stumble occurs, but it is not beyond recovery. It says that God will, will prompt Israel to a place of jealousy. Why? Because they have been God's chosen people, and now God is creating a way for the Gentiles to be in. And look at verse, in chapter 11, it says that Gentile salvation makes Israel jealous to salvation. We'll talk about this more here just in a moment. It says that God hardens Israel's heart in chapter 9, but it says that God's heart that Israel's heart was hardened temporarily in chapter 11. And I want us to kind of see this sort of take. Paul uses this word at the beginning of the passage, and I want us to look at it. And if you've got your Bibles, underline it or write it down in your notes. It's this idea that we are called to live in the mystery. We're called to live in the mystery. Now, if you're anything like me, you don't like moments where you're not necessarily in control. 
You, you like to maybe have a plan, or if you're not gonna have a plan, at least you like to be the one that's in charge saying that you're not going to have a plan, which is actually you planning not to plan, but we'll talk about that at a different time. I, I like to know what's going on. I like to be sort of in control, in charge. I, I'm comfortable in that position. I'm not comfortable when I arrive somewhere and someone else is in charge or they're calling the shots and I may not know what to expect. There's a place where that gives me not just frustration, but it gives me a little bit of apprehension. I, I don't necessarily like that feeling. Can I tell you what I've learned to embrace though in my spiritual walk? And I'm hoping that it's gonna pour over and spill over into the other areas of my life as I continue to mature in the Lord. But the reality is this, I may not like not knowing a plan in my, in my natural life, but in my spiritual life, I'm actually learning to embrace mystery. Meaning that I don't have to have neat and tidy answers for all of my questions. Because I recognize that I'm actually not after a solution. I'm not following Jesus as if this was some sort of equation to be solved. I'm following Jesus because I recognize that in this life, there are things that do not resolve. And I recognize that on this journey, there are going to be more questions than answers. And so I embrace the mystery. I embrace the mystery of God's sovereignty, that God is working in and in, in ways that I am not aware of. He's working in and through situations that I cannot perceive. And even though from my limited vantage point, I may disagree with God's movements, I have to remind myself in humility that I'm not seeing all that God sees. So we gotta learn to live in the mystery. Why? Because God is working in the mystery. Now you see in this passage, what it's specifically speaking on in terms of mystery is this idea that God has allowed or that God has uh, used Israel's stubbornness or he's used Israel's inability to see God's full plan. He's allowed that stubbornness to set in. The scripture says a hardening of their heart. Why? So that God can use that situation to open the door for others to come into a relationship with him. Paul says this, that this mystery, this mystery is the hardening, but also the opening of a door so that others might, might come. It's a three sort of movement. There's the hardening, there's the Gentiles coming in, and then don't miss the final promise that we have that in, in whole, that the people of Israel, the children of Israel, the children of Abraham, that they were going to be brought into and back into the family. There's the promise that God has. And so we talk about the mystery. I want us to see this, that there are moments and seasons in our life where God is working even through our own stubbornness. God works even in seasons in our disbelief. God works even in moments where we may not be leaning into the plan and the will of God for our life. The encouragement, friend, is this. If we're living and trusting in sovereign grace, that we recognize that God's plan, that he's working, is fueled by God's grace. Meaning this, that God does not pronounce judgment on us in the moment we sin. Why? So that he can demonstrate his mercy to us 
is long-suffering to us. Why? So that we might move into a relationship with God. And others may also, at the same time, move into a relationship with God. God is using this momentary, seasonal hardening of the heart to allow the Gentiles to be grafted into the family of God. And what we see Paul Paul talking about over and over is this idea of unity. God's God's not looking for there to be multiple tables. There's not a kid's table and not an adult table in heaven. Now, I know some of you remember those times, and maybe right now you're having kind of a, a flashback, and it was a difficult situation. For us and our family, we would always gather for holidays, and they'd be large gatherings. It'd be aunts and uncles and cousins, and, and honestly, no, in my family, sometimes we were inviting the neighbors and other people who, who didn't have somewhere to go. They would end up there as well, and, and I remember growing up, and Thanksgivings and Christmases, those meals would probably have about 30 to 40 people deep. And so if you weren't early in the line, you weren't gonna get good picks on, on food. And, and there were certain seats that kids couldn't sit in. We were outside, uh, we were on the porch, but we were not sitting at the table. We weren't allowed to sit in certain places in the house. Why? Because those are for the adults. And I remember clearly getting to the place where I had arrived and I could start sitting at the adult table. I could sit in a chair that actually had a back on it. I wasn't outside, I was in the air conditioning. I remember what that felt like to be at the table. I think some of us view God, the family of God, as if there are certain tables that that have preference. Certain people get certain preference and they get to sit at this table while others are sitting at this table. And I'm just telling you, when you think about the family of God and you think about the table of God, I don't want you to think about small tables that are set up in the corner. I want you to think of a long, long, expansive table where we all gather around. The mystery of God is how he works. The frailty of humanity And he works oftentimes our stubbornness and even our sinfulness where God will work all things together for good for those who who believe and are called according to his purpose. This goes back into what Pastor Matt talked to us about a couple weeks ago in terms of the sovereignty of God. Do we trust God? Because if I trust God, then I understand that in the mystery, that space between the yes and the amen, that place of uncertainty, the place of the already but not yet, that that space, the mystery, the unknown, doesn't have to give me anxiety, but it actually can invite me into a deeper sense of knowing God and experiencing God's presence at a deeper level. My prayer is that we would get to a place where we don't have to have control to be able to have freedom in our worship, where we don't have to have everything put together because perhaps our having to have control is keeping us from God. Perhaps our desire to put everything in its place and us being the Lord of our life is actually keeping us from encountering God and embracing the mystery that he's called us into. In the text, the mystery is clear on what Paul's talking about. 
But I think there's an application for us beyond this text in terms of the mystery in your life. The times where you don't see God working and you can't perceive what God is doing. It's in that place that I believe and want to submit to you that it's in that place that we actually get to know God at a deeper and a more intimate level. Sometimes we're trying to discover God's plan and we're missing God's presence. And I believe what God is calling us into is to enjoy his presence and trust that his plan will work all things together for good. If you follow along with me, I want you to kind of look right next to that. He says in verse number 25, he says, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery. And then I want you to see that word there, brothers. And if you're taking notes too, I want you to write this down, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, Paul is focused throughout this letter on unity. And hear me on this, the church that represents and bears the name of Jesus has to lead the way in unity. Meaning this, we are creating space for others to join us at the table. We are not setting up new tables for others to sit at and not join us. We are creating space. Paul's focused on unity. You see throughout chapter 11, he's using the metaphor of the tree and the branches that they're grafted in and they become one. There's no longer two separate. There's not the Jews and the Gentiles. This is what Paul means when he says this in this letter and in other places, that in Christ, there is no distinction. There is no difference. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile, but they are part of the family of God, that they are the people of God. Listen to me, you and I are to be made one. Now our unity does not take away our distinctions. It does not say that diversity does not matter. What it says is what unifies us is greater than what makes us different. And the beauty of unity is when we bring our distinctions together and we allow them to merge. We allow them to join together so that kind of if you're making soup or you're making, you're putting all the recipe, you're putting all the different spices, you're putting all the different things together. Why? Because it provides a flavor. I believe that the church of Jesus, when it is unified, it is providing an aroma of worship to God, but it is also providing a flavor to the community and the culture that we find ourselves in. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will have moments where we're giving hard words to people. We're saying difficult things. We find ourselves in a difficult moment and we're not gonna be able to navigate it because we have not maybe put unity as a high value. I want us to see Paul as an example here. Paul has unity in the body of Christ at such a high value that when he has to give a difficult word, he does so with love, he does so with grace, he does so with measured and purposeful language. This is why Paul sometimes is repeating himself. It's why what he said in chapter nine, he's now saying here again in chapter 11, we see him do this in multiple places in this letter to this church. Why does he do that? because he understands that when you're giving a difficult word, you have to be careful that you're not doing damage. And each of us have to be careful that when we're in a moment, whether our emotions are high or what we're having to say is weighty, 
We need to make sure that we are not allowing difficult situations to do damage to the people that we are called to unify. Question that I want you to consider and think about this week is what does it look like for us in our, in our lives, in our homes, with our friends to be people of unity? Does it mean that there's some things that we might need to look past? Does it mean that there might be some things, and what I mean by looking past is that we have grace for? I find too often I'm wanting to have judgment on things that I probably should have grace for. And what God's calling, one of the beautiful foundations of the unity that, that, that Paul's calling them to is the mercy of God. It's the grace of God. You see, I don't think we're going to be able to see unity in our lives like God wants or intends without the mercy and the grace of God as well. Mercy and grace doesn't mean that we don't say difficult things. Mercy and grace doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth. But mercy and grace reminds us that the way in which we do this is so that our kindness, like God's, might lead others to repentance. I love the verse in, in this scripture. Many of you would know it in verse 29. It says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And I want to encourage you with that today. Some of you right now, the gifts in your life, the calling on your life, you have not been stewarding it well. And you've gotten to a place where you begin to think that you're mishandling the gift or not, not appropriating the talent or the calling in the way that God would want you to. Somehow you have embraced the thought that this has canceled those things on your life would you hear what the word is saying to you today? That the gifts and the calling of God, that those are irrevocable. Here's what that means. Regardless of what you have done, it cannot, will not, and does not cancel out the calling of God on your life. It may make it difficult for you to experience that grace of stepping fully into a calling or stepping fully into a season. But listen to me. It might be difficult, but it is not it is not canceled. The gifts and the calling are irrevocable. But be encouraged, friend, that in the season when you were unaware of your calling or the season where you were not stewarding your life well, you were not doing irreparable damage to the calling of God on your life. It is irrevocable. I hope that you'll be encouraged by that. There have been seasons of my life that that verse has reminded me, Charlie, even when you don't feel like you're stepping fully into your calling. Maybe you're in a delayed season or maybe you're in a season of waiting and preparation that you are exactly where God wants you to be because the calling of God on your life isn't, it can be confirmed by people, but it cannot be canceled by people. And I want you to, to kind of sit in this moment for a second and just ask yourself, God, what have you called me to do? What have you gifted me to do? Some of you, you know the answer to that so clearly and so quickly. Others of you, you're maybe new on this journey or you're just finally at a place where you've got the courage to begin asking that question. And I just wanna say to you, that is a beautiful question to begin asking God in prayer. It's a beautiful question to flesh and work out in a community like this. What am I called to do? What am I gifted to do? God, what have you put in me? I can't throw that away. 
It's almost as if it's the boomerang, right? You throw it out and it comes back to you. Those things that God has put in you, friends, you can't run from them. You can't destroy them. They're in you because God has placed them in you for his purpose, for his glory. And it's my prayer and my hope that we will discover those together and we will unleash those on our communities, on our families. We'll unleash those in such a way that there would be a wave of grace and mercy that would follow the giftings and the callings as they're being used to give honor and glory to God. Another thing I want you to notice and see in this passage is that Paul reminds us that we're to worship our way through. Now, if you look at the way in which the letter is structured and you see the way in which Paul writes this, when you get to the backside of this passage, verses 33 through 36, you see that they have a decidedly different um, texture to them. They have a different sort of rhythm and, and cadence. They do feel almost um, hymn-like. Now, if you remember back, there have been moments where Paul has done that before. It's almost, if you, if you grew up in churches like this, it's almost as if Paul's taking a praise break. It's almost as if there's a, a moment in this where he, he gets to a place where, where only the exhale that seems appropriate um, is, is a worship. There are times in the Psalms where you'll see this word, um, selah, where, where that means uh, full stop, take a breath, rest. Why? Because sometimes there are some things that if, if we keep moving on, we'll miss. Sometimes there's some things that God's saying and doing. If we don't have proper pauses in place, we miss. Some of you right now, you're not experiencing the peace of God in your life because you do not have places of rest. You do not have pauses. You do not have full stops. We cannot have the peace of God if we are not living at the pace of God. And so what Paul does here is he reminds us that we worship in the midst of mystery. We don't worship because we've got everything figured out and we're celebrating our own discovery. We worship in the mystery because we realize that in the mystery is the place that we find God's presence. We worship in the mystery because we understand that sometimes in difficult seasons, sometimes in difficult words, things may not have resolved the way we wanted them to, but it does not mean that we cannot worship God in that place. We don't worship God when we have it all together. We're not just worshiping God when we've got it all figured out, but we are worshiping God out of a place of wonder. And even for some of you, as you're wondering, not just when we have certainty. I think one of the greatest things that we can do is in the seasons and the places when we're having questions, maybe you're having doubts, you're having difficulty, it doesn't seem like it's all working or you've got it figured out. Some of you, I think the enemy of your soul would say to you, back away from the table of God until you fully understand all of this. And the invitation is actually, no, come and see, taste that the Lord is good. In other words, worship even in your wondering. Worship even as you're filled with Wonder, because if you're waiting on certainty, you are going to miss so much of God's presence. You're going to miss so much of what God wants to do. We worship in that place. Another thought that I just think is, is helpful for us. Paul's talking about some theological things here in this text. We've talked about his sort of movement between a pastoral heart and a, a theological sort of bend. He has that sort of rhythm. I, I appreciate that about Paul. I love that about Paul. But here's the thing that I want to challenge some of you who are, are theologically 
sort of um, bent, meaning this, you think deeply about the scriptures. You may not be the people in worship who are like, ooh, I feel God in this moment, but you are the person that maybe is reading the text and you're wanting to break things down. Those aren't either or, you can be both and, but sometimes we have an easier sort of lean or a bend. And, And hear me on this, theological work needs worshiping roots. Deep thinking also needs deep roots and it needs a deep sort of foundation and that foundation comes in worship. I'm not worshiping my intellect that understands God. I'm worshiping the God that sits above all of those things. So even when I'm dealing with theological places and theological things, I've got to have a moment where I I just get to a place of worship. Listen how Paul ends this passage, because here's here's the beautiful framing for our worship and for our life. He says, from him. This means the gift of God, the gifts that God bestows upon his people, the things that come from God, the things that move through him. This is the grace of God. And it says then the things that are to him. All of this is to him. This is for God's glory. He ends this beautifully. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, that is my prayer for us, that we would live in the mystery, that we would embrace unity, and that there would be a place that we find ourselves worshiping our way through. Grace and peace, friends. We love you so much. I love that last verse in chapter 11 where it says, and from him and to him and through him are all things and to him be the glory forever. And there Paul is talking about Christ and our prayer and our hope for you as a church is that that would be at the forefront of your minds and your hearts this week, that in everything you do, you would do it for the glory of Christ. And if there's anything that we can do as a church to come alongside you, to help you walk that out, please let us know. We wanna be there uh, to help you do that. So church today, uh, we pray a blessing over you. Pray that Lord would bless you, keep you, that he make his face shine upon you, that he would look upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.